You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Well, howdy-do, partner. Welcome along to another Yippee-I-O edition of Attaboy Clarence, and today we're a-swinging by the rootin'-tootin' owls a-hootin' Old West. We're eating some beans by the bonfire, and our saddles are a-blazin'. Isn't it just great how my English accent a-works with the spectacular vernacular of the Wild West? Hey, and listen, if westerns aren't your thing, then don't be downhearted, you varmint. They aren't exactly my bag of vittles either, but I have two pretty astounding exceptions to tell you about later in the show, so stick around, you yellow belly. I'll stop it for now, it's most unbecoming. Here to serenade the heck out of us, though, and put us in that prairie mood, is Hank Williams, who's got a most unfortunate problem. Poor old Hank. Yeah, my book has got a hole in it. Yeah, my book has got a hole in it. Yeah, my book has got a hole in it. I can't buy no beer. Well, I'm standing on the corner with a bucket in my hand. I'm waiting for a woman, it ain't got no man, cause my bucket's got a hole in it, yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it, yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it, I can't buy no beer, well, I went up on the mountain, I looked down in the sea, I seen the crabs and the fishes. Doing the bebop because my book has got a hole in it. Yeah, my book has got a hole in it. Yeah, my book has got a hole in it. I can't buy no beer. Of me working so hard When I got a woman In the boss man's yard Cause my bucket's got a hole in it Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it I can't buy no beer
Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it. Yeah, my bucket's got a hole in it. I can't buy no And that was Hank Williams with My Bucket's Got a Hole in It. Sorry to hear that, Hank, you greenhorn. I'm hoping that's kind of an affectionate nickname and not the description of some medical issue. Anyway. Yes, it's that time again. An all-new edition of The Dark Pages is upon us, and it's a delightful package. There's a feature on the noir movies of Angela Lansbury, a deep dive into 1946's The Stranger, and a full review of one of my favorite movies ever, although I'm sure that no one agrees with me, The Two Mrs. Carrolls, starring Barbara Stanwyck, Humphrey Bogart, and Nigel Bruce. So much fun. All of that and much more, including a TCM noir watch list and a new feature called Looking for Light which takes a regular glance at the non-shadowy characters in noir movies. Get your copy right now by heading to allthatnoir.com and may I just wish Karen and the team a very happy birthday as they've just turned 19 years old. Many happy returns to the dark pages. Mother deserves the best of everything. Wholeheartedly agree with that statement. Love your mothers, please, you lily-livered... No, I don't even know anymore. How do your livers get lilied, anyway? Because she has to plan her wartime cooking so carefully, she has to spend more time than ever in the kitchen. Poor old mother. Should I give her a hand or something? So why not have the kitchen walls and woodwork washed and painted for her with that glorious new Luxor Daffodil Yellow? I mean, it's a suggestion, for sure. The rich luster of Luxor is easy to keep clean, and radiate sunshine and happiness all day long. There are also several glamorous new blues, greens, and reds available in Luxor quality. It's just that I'm fairly sure that if I put my mother into a yellow, green, red, and blue room and make her work there all day, it might have a slightly nauseating effect upon the poor thing. It reminds me of this scene from Mr. Blanding's. Now, first the living room. I want it to be a soft green. Uh-huh. Not as blue-green as a robin's egg. No. But not as yellow-green as daffodil buds. Uh-huh. Now, the only sample I could get is a little too yellow. But don't let whoever does it go to the other extreme and get it too blue. No. It should just be a sort of grayish-yellow-green. Uh-huh. Now, the dining room. I'd like yellow. Not just yellow, a very gay yellow. Something bright and sunshiny. Uh-huh. I tell you, Mr. Padelford, if you'll send one of your workmen to the grocer for a pound of their best butter and match that exactly, you can't go wrong. Uh-huh. Now, this is the paper we're going to use in the hall. It's flowered, but I don't want the ceiling to match any of the colors of the flower. No. There's some little dots in the background, and it's these dots I want you to match. Not the little greenish dot near the hollyhock leaf. No. But the little bluish dot between the rosebud and the delphinium blossom. Is that clear? Uh-huh. Now, the kitchen's to be white. Not a cold antiseptic hospital white. No. A little warmer, but still, not to suggest any other color but white. Uh-huh. Now, for the powder room, in here, 
I want you to match this thread, and don't lose it. It's the only spool I have, and I had an awful time finding it. As you can see, it's practically an apple red, somewhere between a healthy wine sap and an unripened Jonathan. Uh -huh. oh, excuse me. You got that, Charlie? Red, green, blue, yellow, white. Check. Ah, Myrna. Hey, here's a question for you. Did Myrna Loy ever star in a Western? Can you think of one? Well, yes, she did. All in the same year, too. She starred in 1930s Under a Texas Moon with Frank Fay back in her exotic, sultry, nondescriptive foreigner bit part days. She played Lolita Robero and had the awful task of making out with Frank Fay, one of the most reprehensible men to ever star in a movie. It was directed by Michael Curtiz, and it caused such a firestorm of protest due to its vilifying of Mexican people that it led to widespread protests. She also popped up in The Bad Man and Rogue of the Rio Grande in the same year, but then she kind of dropped out of the whole Western genre, which is odd because she was a rancher's daughter. Anyway, that leads us nicely into today's bank of reviews. First up, Val Luton then, a guy I think I might have heard of. We all know the horror films he made, but here's another question for you. Did he ever make a horror film in color? Well, did he? Well, yes, he did, from a certain point of view. Long after his RKO days, in fact, in the final months of his life, Luton went on over to his arch-nemesis studio, Universal, the place he'd been trashing throughout the 40s, to make his last ever film. Luton had always seen Universal as the place where careers went to die, and maybe in the final analysis, he was right. Despite his excoriating them during his time as RKO's purveyor of horror, it was Universal who threw out a lifeline to Luton when his career hit the skids. And it is that film that I want to talk to you about today, a Technicolor Western with a definite debt owed to Luton's horror formula. It all adds up to one of the most curious Westerns ever to hit the screen, a real genre-bending blend of horror horror, suspense thriller, and character study that most people tend to ignore, but which definitely deserves a re-evaluation. It's from 1951, and its name is Apache Drums. The white men from the north and the white men of Mexico have drawn a line across the middle of the land that feeds us. We cannot go south to eat of the mezcal, nor north to eat of the piñon. The hunger wolf chews on our strength. Soon the warriors will be too weak to fight. Then the white man will thrust us away from the earth, and only the empty sky will know the voices of the mescaleros. In the small town of Spanish Boot, the new sheriff, Joe Madden, is determined to clean up the town. He does this by emptying the saloon of all the vagabonds. First out are the ladies who provide companionship to the guys for a few dollars. Next are the gamblers, and most notably, Sam Leeds. But Joe Madden has an ulterior motive for getting rid of Sam Leeds. The prettiest girl in town, Sally, is in love with Sam, and Joe wants her for himself. By turfing out Sam, Joe's cleared the way for himself when it comes to winning Sally's heart. You're leaving town. That's all right with me. There's no room for a man of my capacities in Spanish boot. You're going to be mighty lonesome, Joe. You won't be missed. Maybe not, but just the same, you're going to be mighty lonesome. Are you talking about Sally? I was just saying you'd be lonesome. Just the same, I want you out of here by noon. 
Well, Sam Leeds is disgruntled, and he sets out across the desert in search of a new town to call home. But a mile or so down the road, he finds the stagecoach that the girls took. They've all been massacred by the Mescalero Apaches. Mescalero Apaches? Mescaleros? Yes. They're back over the border. There's a lot of them. Mescalero. Hundred. Maybe two hundred. They came down all the rocks like ghosts. They're bad. They say so themselves. Feeling a sense of duty, Sam rides back to Spanish Boot in order to warn the townsfolk that the Apaches are on their way. But no one will believe him. Well, Sam, what is it? Look, I've got no reason for coming back here. I tell you, the Mescaleros are on the prod. You'd better get set for them. Fatal Peter here is a scout from Fort Cook. Tell him, where are all the Mescaleros? Two days now, since troops chased Victorio and all Mescalero fighting men across border to Mexico. You help fight them? That's the truth, Sam. There isn't a war party this side of the border big enough to butcher a sheep. Did you really see any Indians? Well, did you? Yes. Why should I lie to you, Joe? That I wouldn't know. But whatever the reason, you're not going to get away with it. Sally, tell these people whatever else I do, I don't lie. Well, tell them. I won't spoil any more of the story, but you're pretty well set up there. It's a great setup because not only do you have this love triangle at the heart of things, which makes any kind of stand against the incoming threat way more difficult to deal with, you also have a very haunting menace just out of sight. Now, if you're a Val Luton fan, you know all about his formula of less being more, and it works incredibly well in this case. You know the Apaches are out there and that they're drawing near because you can hear the drums and you can feel them getting closer. The first thing they do is poison the water supply through means that I won't spoil here, but that adds an extra level of urgency and desperation. The film centerpiece is a quite stunning third act in which the townsfolk, including women and children, must barricade themselves inside the church. The problem is that the windows of the church are far too high to barricade and the mescaleros are very good at climbing. This is a hard place to defend. Look, the windows are too high. You can't fire out, but they can scale the walls. And there are too many windows and too few of us. There's no food, no water, no bandages. The fighting men, the braves of the Mescalero, they'll come through the windows. And what follows is one of Val Luton's finest horror sequences as the eyes of the terrified town fix themselves upon the high windows and their shadows, which suddenly will just burst into petrifying life every now and then as the Apaches, who are all painted in ghoulish colors and squealing in blood-curdlingly unearthly tones, crawl up the walls and fly like bats from the windows. That's it. It's absolutely incredible to watch, and if you aren't watching the last 20 minutes of this movie with your heart in your mouth, then there is something wrong with you. 
It also has a great deal to say about racism and acceptance, and it's not afraid to paint its heroes as villains from time to time, especially in the case of Sheriff Joe Madden, who, when the film begins, you're kind of led to believe that he's an honorable man, and yet so many times during the story you find yourself siding with Sam Leeds, the antagonist. It's a wildly entertaining movie, told in that brisk Val Luton style. It's only 72 minutes long. And yet, despite having no money, this was at the time the most inexpensive color film ever produced. It never feels cheap. It's not often you get to call a Western movie a terrifying experience. It's brutal, it's tense, it's dramatic, it's a work of art. And as Val Luton's final ever film as a producer, it's a fitting masterpiece. If, like me, you aren't the biggest fan of westerns, then do at least give this one a chance because it has way more to it than cowboys and saloons. That's Apache Drums from 1951. Now, stop me if you've heard this one before. A trio of no-good, gold-arn, rootin', tootin', and other such phrases, bunch of outlaws, arrives in the town of New Jerusalem in the no-good, gold-arn, rootin', tootin', highfalutin' Old West. It ain't too long before the bullets start a-flyin', and after all the carnage of their bank robbery, several men are pushing up daisies on Boot Hill. So basically what happens is that three criminals ride into town, rob a bank, and shoot some people. What? There ain't no Santa Claus. The three men, Bob, Doc, and Gus, ride off into the rootin' tootin' highfalutin' Windows PC rebootin' sunset with their bag of loot and think they've gold on gone and got away with it. That's when the men make a sinister discovery. It's a fella, gentlemen, and he's croaked, died. Shot himself. Ain't been dead long. Name's George Marshall. From the look of his fancy clothes and this here dude's gun, he must have been a tenderfoot. <laughs> Probably had some loco weed and went crazy. Yeah. Easy, easy, Gus. You're not dressing a steer. Who says I ain't? Hold still now. I took Marshall's gun. Only thing he had of any value on him. Should we bury him? What's the use? Nature's got the job half done and the buzzards and coyotes will finish it. A little further down the old rootin' tootin' highfalutin' Windows PC rebooting river polluting trail, they make another discovery. It's a moor, young mother, and her gold-armed rugrat, a small infant child. The mother is close to death, and having no other choice, she entrusts the safety of her dang baby to the trio of outlaws. It was up to me. I'd, I'd put him out of his misery. Well, it doesn't happen to be up to you. All right, but I'm telling you, what a short way... That kid will hold us up half a day getting into Gray's Gulch. Well, what of it? Plenty. I'm pulling out of here alone in the morning. Some of that money's just itching to get spent. But go now if you want to. Nobody stop oh, you. Shut your mouth, will you? Gus, now wait. Wait a minute. What's the good of all this argument? We've gotten along pretty well together so far. Ain't no argument, Doc. It's just a little difference of opinion, that's all. So have you heard this one before? If you're any kind of classic movie fan, then you'll likely have seen this before. This film is called Three Godfathers, and it's from 1936, and believe it or not, this was the seventh time that this story had been told on screen by 1936. It was adapted again in 1948, starring John Wayne, which is the more famous take, but for my money, this 1936 version is the best. 
It stars Chester Morris, the man who played the worst husband in the world in 1930's The Divorcee. Oh, hang on a second. I forgot about Lionel Atwill in Murders in the Zoo. Okay, so Chester Morris plays the second worst husband in the world in 1930's The Divorcee. Tell you what I love about Chester Morris, his profile. From the side, he looks like the front of a truck, very square. They really don't make faces like Chester Morris's face anymore. You also have Lewis Stone, Judge Hardy himself, who also has a totally unique face. The trio is rounded out by Walter Brennan, yet another purveyor of singular faces. Put all three together and you have a gang you can't take your eyes off. It's like the Mount Rushmore of cowboy gangs. Now, I haven't always been the biggest Western fan in the world. I like them when they're not all about the horn swoggling and the cattle rustling and the ranch administrationing and things. I think the best Westerns are the character pieces that just so happen to be set in the Old West. I like Stagecoach with John Wayne for that very reason. You could set Stagecoach in space and it would work. That's what I like about Three Godfathers. The story is a universal one. It's the tale of three rootin' tootin' highfalutin' windows PC rebootin' river polluting critters who have to dig deep to find a shred of humanity in order to save the life of an innocent child. Now, I won't spoil what happens because it's a bit of a small miracle, this film. But I urge you to check out the movie. The 1936 version is my favorite. It's directed by Richard Boleslavsky, which sounds like a really delicious type of salad. Really love his films. Men in White with Clark Gable, Painted Veil with Greta Garbo, the original Les Miserables with uh, Frederick March, Last of Mrs. Cheney with Joan Crawford and William Powell. Sadly, Mr. Boleslavsky died just one year after completing Three Godfathers. But it's a marvelous tribute to his talent. He really does extract every ounce of drama from the story. It's definitely in my top 10 Westerns, a list that isn't actually that extensive, but that should really only assure you of the quality you can expect from Three Godfathers from 1936. Check it out for sure. If you're a patron of mine, then you'll be able to stream it right now in the classic movie library, along with Apache drums. And if you do, I hope you have yourselves a rootin' tootin', highfalutin', river pollutin', dragon fruitin'. Good time. Now, sticking with the Wild West shenanigans, let's hot-foot it on over to... Why does this stuff sound so odd coming from my mouth? Hot-foot it on over to one of the original classics of old-time radio. Now, I've stated many times during today's show that the Western genre in cinema isn't my favorite, and yet... I have to tell you right now that radio is a very different matter. Radio is where westerns came to life, in my opinion, because put away the hats and the badges and the sequins and the banjos, put away all of the visual trappings, and you're left with human stories, and that is what I love. I'm going to treat you to something very special today, the very first episode in one of radio's shining jewels, one of the finest examples in old-time radio's marvellous history, Gunsmoke is the name, and drama is the game. We're in Dodge City circa the 1870s, and in the company of the town's hard-as-nails lawman, Marshal Matt Dillon, played by the great William Conrad. Gunsmoke works so well because the stories aren't about the number of bullets in your gun, they're about the number of lies in a man's heart. They're wonderfully twisted little dramas with excruciating moral centers. And from the very first episode, Gunsmoke thrilled 
the millions who tuned in each Saturday night. It was famously the first radio western show for adults. Gone was the guitar playing and the bravado, and in their place was an unprecedented sense of realism and darkness. You can hear for yourself, because today I present the very first episode, which aired on Saturday the 16th of April, 1952. I won't tell you the name of the episode, or it might spoil what happens. Load them up, partners, and let's head on out with Marshal Matt Dillon. It's Gunsmoke, and I'll see you afterwards. Around Dodge City, into the territory on West, there's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gunsmoke, the story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Wanted for murder. Wanted for murder. Clay Richards. Clay Richards. Age 31. 31. Height 6 feet. Eyes brown. Hair red. Eyes brown. Hair red. Hey, how'd you like me to print his picture on these notices? I got a woodcut. Well, let me show you. Ernie! Yeah? That's your marshal a copy of that front page. Interviewing Clay's wife yesterday, I noticed a tintype on the mantle, their wedding photograph. So, first thing you know, I snitched it. That's very thoughtful. Yeah, oh, I'll take it, Ernie. Yeah, yeah. And then I propped it up in front of me and carved me this woodcut. Ain't she prime? Ain't she just elegant? Real elegant. Good likeness, don't you think? Of course, he was seven or eight years younger with the tintype. Yeah, it's a good likeness. Cuts his hair short and Doesn't hard. show what makes a law-abiding man like and him try to rob a bank. Doesn't look like a man who it's murdered an old cashier and a Chinese cook who just happened to be there. But it's a good likeness. Yes, sir, it is. A picture like this sure dresses up the front page, don't it? Yeah, it's a little masterpiece, Mr. Hightower. A notable contribution to the culture of Dodge City. Well, thank you, Marshal. Does fetch the eye, don't it? I'm printing an extra 500 copies of the weekly, and I bet I sell them all. Too bad the cashier's shot went wild. If he'd managed to kill Clay or even wing him, why, I bet I could sell a thousand extra copies. We must be thankful for the blessings we do receive, Mr. Hightower. Oh, I am, Marshal, I am. Why, just before it happened yesterday afternoon, I didn't know what I was going to fill my columns with. And then, like manna from heaven... Two murders and the bank robbery. Attempted bank robbery, Mr. Hightower. He turned and ran for he got his hands on so much as a dollar. Yes. Still as you say, like man. Dylan, I... I I'm talking business. What is it, Chester? Well, it can wait, I guess, Mr. Dillon. Yeah, print Clay's picture on those notices, Mr. Hightower. Oh, where were we? Uh, eyes brown, hair red. Oh, yes. Also known as Red, Bricktop, and Sorrel. He uh, didn't answer to 
No other nicknames, did he? No, that's what they called him. All right, then in big letters, $400 reward. Dead or alive. And at the bottom, apply Matt Dillon, Marshal, Dodge City. Mm-hmm. Uh, print 200 copies. How soon can I send Chester over for him? This afternoon. Good morning, Mr. Hightower. Chester. Those posters will do any good. Richards is probably over the line into Oklahoma or Colorado by now. And Strawberry Rona, his is the fastest in the county. He has no money. He panicked and ran out of the bank before he got a penny. I think he'll try to get help from his wife or brother or a friend the first chance he has, maybe tonight. I say he's around here somewhere. I, uh... I'm sorry I turned on you. Why, that's all right, Mr. Dillon. Out all night with a posse, no sleep, man's bound to get touchy. No, it's not that. It's, it's the, the way... It's the way people use a thing like this. The men riding posse last night, they enjoyed it as though they were hunting fox or possum. Hightower back there, he acts like it was a birthday treat, specially gotten up for him. Everybody finds a way to use it. What was it you wanted to tell me? Hmm? Oh, I, I got a kid, a, a little boy, locked up in the cell. Uh-huh. He run away from home, back in Cottonwood. Ed Slade turned him over to me when he come through on the stagecoach just now. Kid about 12 years old. Who's is he? Widow woman, Miss Bonnie. She runs the boarding house in Cottonwood. Ed says the kid's always running away a little while, I guess. He flagged Ed for a ride on the road halfway between there and here. Soon as Ed seen him stand there with his bundle on his shoulder, he knowed what he was up to. So he told the kid he'd help him and then turn him over to us when he got here. All right, we'll send a telegram to the mother to come fetch him. Well, come on in, Chester, and shut the door. Mr. Dillon? You're letting in every horse fly in Kansas. Mr. Dillon, I think you better cancel the order for them notices. What? The Dutchman's coming up the street, and he's leading a strawberry roan, and Clay Richards is draped across his back. Like a sack of wheat across the saddle. Last time I saw him, two days ago. He was standing at the bar laughing his head off. A sack of wheat across the saddle. And followed by half the saloon bums and loafers in town. All right, Chester, make him keep back. All right, now stand back, you fellas. Come on now, back. Stand back. Ziegler. How'd it happen, Ziegler? My goat, my old billy goat, he pushes open the fence last night and runs away. Forget your goat. What about Clay? Yeah, I, I tell you. This morning, I go to look for the goat. I walk here, there, near the river. I see Clay. He sits there. I say, hello, Clay. The gate. You he... dirty Dutchman. You know the dog? Clay was your best friend. He helped you buy your farm, so you killed him for your home. All right, all of you. Keep back, everybody. Clay? Me? No, no. My brother, he was like... We was in the war together. Peter, listen. You killed him for the war. Not so. I killed nobody. Not, not since Gettysburg. Clay is dead already when I find him. I don't even own a pistol. Ziegler, inside, quick. Yeah, yeah. Chester, give me a hand with Clay. All right, all of you. I will not tolerate a disturbance. 
You know me. I got him, Chester. Take his leg. All right, kick the door shut. Marshal, I don't kill Clay. On this table, Chester. What'd you do with Clay's gun? His holster's empty. Gun? Clay's? I ain't got it. I don't even own one. Chester, see if it slipped out. For His me, holster whatever. was empty coming up the street. First thing I noticed. Maybe it's over uh, on the... Another customer? Why, that's three in less than a day. Oh, bountiful harvest. My fees this month will keep me in luxury. In luxury? Doc, I uh, want to have an inquest as soon as possible. Well, as soon as I finish the autopsy. Shouldn't take long with the practice I've had this week. Huh? <laughs> no. Uh, late afternoon all right with you? I'll take him up to my office right now. Uh, no, thank you, Chester. I can carry him all by myself here. You just open the door there like a good fella. Uh-oh. 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 Marshal, tell the city fathers... I'd like to make a deal when the corpses are as famous as this one. <laughs> Back in 53 in San Francisco, a fellow I knew earned a fortune, exhibiting the head of Joaquin Marietta. Tell him if they let me keep the remains, I'll do the autopsies for nothing. Shut the door, Chester. Ziegler, where is it you met Clay on the river? By the fort. This side, by the fort. Right out there, Chester, and see if you can find Clay's gun. Maybe he dropped it when he was shot. I did not shoot, Clay. Sure. I did not. I had no reason to. I did not. I did not. Now, you listen to me. Maybe you think Dodge has got so big, I don't know about everything that goes on here. Well, if you do, you're wrong. If you think I don't know about the bank having an overdue mortgage on your farm, you're wrong. $400 is reason enough for a struggling farmer like you. No. I could not do such a thing. I am a human being. To a peace officer, Ziegler, that's enough grounds for suspicion. But whether you did it or not, well, we decided it's your trial. In the meantime, you just stop yammering about it. Trial? Me? Even when I shoot somebody, I stand trial. If they find it's justifiable homicide, and they probably will, Clay being a wanted man, then he'll let you off. And if not... Please, I am permitted to go now. Go? Are you crazy? I found this stock. I, I must look after it. You sit right down. You want to be lynched? You're trying to get yourself murdered? Have you forgotten about Clay's brother, Adam? Adam would not believe I shot him. What difference does it make whether he believes it or not? His brother's been killed. Everybody's looking to him to do something about it, and he knows it. You want me to guess where he is right this minute? He's in one of them saloons, lapping up courage to come in here and ask me to give you to him for a present. You want to know who's with him? Ever loafer, ever bum, ever slob in town. Slapping him on the back and telling him what a shame it is. Taking him on to kill you so that they can have some excitement and some fun. Well, maybe you deserve killing, but it's my job to uphold the law and I'm not letting you out of here. What? I tell you, you might that... spend your time trying to think up a better story. That is, if you intend to stay in this town. All right, now think back. Didn't Clay go for his gun before you shot him? I tell you, I didn't. If I'm not under arrest, you have no right to keep me here. I got to look after my farm. I go. All right, Chester, lock him up. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. Come on now, Ziegler. Step out, Sonny. This cage is bespoke. Who's in there, Chester? Yeah, that little old runaway from Cottonwood. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Come over here, son. Come over here to me. I know who you are. <laughs> you do, do you? You bet. You're Matt Dillon. 
<laughs> Guilty. I knowed you right off. You just pointed out to me one day back home. Filler says you was the fastest gun thrower in Kansas. <laughs> Wyatt Earp wouldn't be awful interested to hear that, I'm afraid. Filler says you was faster than older. Faster than Wild Bill Hickok in Hay City and Bat Masterson or any of them. How many fellas have you killed? You don't keep score, son. It's something you try to forget. Not me. Someday I'll be famous like you, and for every filler I kill, I'll, I'll put a notch on my gun. People will see those notches, and they'll know they better not try Why'd you run away from home, bub? Don't you know your mother's likely to worry about oh, you? Oh, she won't worry. She's too busy working. You ain't gonna make me go back, are you? You wouldn't do that, would you? Well... Because it wouldn't stop me for long. I'd only run away again. Oh, where are you off to in such a sweat? Oh, Texas, California, Mexico... Fella can accomplish things there, not like living in old cottonwood. If you let me go, someday when I'm famous, you can tell people you helped get me started. Well, that's, that's a pretty strong inducement. Um, I'll have to think about it for a while. And uh, look, uh, while I'm making up my mind, I, I want you to give me your word. Word of a man who'll be famous someday that uh, he won't try to run away from me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll have to have... Chester, lock you up again. Oh, I'll shake on that. Good, good. Uh, Chester, I want you to go look for Clay's gun. Yes, Mr. Dillon. And uh, on the way, stop off and send that uh, telegram. You know? Hmm? Oh, that telegram. Uh, yes, Mr. Dillon. I'll Where's Ziegler? It's all right, Chester. Go ahead. Yes, Mr. Dillon. Where's that murdering dog? Oh, there you are, you... Not a single step further, Adam. I want him, Dylan. He murdered Clay, shot him down without giving him a chance. How do you know? Because Clay wouldn't have let anyone catch him off guard except a friend. A friend. Now, Dylan, give me that Dutchman. Try to take him. It's like that? It's like that. And it's true what the fellas say. You made a deal with the Dutchman to give him the reward and protect him if he'd kill Clay for you. That was the deal, was it? Yeah. The fellas say why I'd make such a deal? Dylan, it ain't no longer a secret around town that you and Francie want each other. But Clay was in the way. You had him killed so you could get his wife. Do you deny it? No. No. It'll serve as well as any other crazy story to work you up. You think you're safe behind that star, don't you? Well, Clay had friends, lots of them. I'm coming back with them friends, and we'll get the Dutchman and you and anyone else who tries to stop us. All right, Adam. I'll be waiting. Yeah. You wait. I almost seen something pretty just then, didn't I, Mr. Dillon? Yeah, almost. About another... Pint of whiskey ought to do it. We will return for the second act of Gunsmoke in just a moment. But first, many radio shows win high popularity with the prizes and cash they give away. But there's one show that's tops because the head man gives away as little as possible. What other radio program could it be but... The Jack Benny Show, so be listening. Here's the second act of Gunsmoke.
Uh, yeah, open that drawer in front of you there. You'll find a small bottle of oil in there. No, no, the one to the right. Yeah, that's it. Now, bring a little brush, too, huh? Here it is. Thanks, bub. It's a right nice gun you have. Yeah, it's not bad, but a little stiff. Just a little stiff. Don't it have a trigger? I never seen no gun without a trigger before. Oh, you remove a trigger or uh, tie it back against a guard. And all you have to do is uh, thumb a hammer. Hey, like that. It's faster. <laughs> yeah, that's better now. Remove the trigger. I'll remember that. What in the world for? Well, I remember everything you told me. About the Texas holster and the spring holster and the double roll and filing off the site. It's just me, Mr. Dillon. Oh, any luck, Chester? No, sir, not any. I went to the store first and asked Mr. Denton what kind of ammunition Clay Richard used to buy, and he told me Clay had a double-action 44. I scarred that riverbank a half mile each way from the ford and not a sign of it. I got that telegram off. You know who ought to be here pretty soon. It's only seven, eight miles from... Is that fire in town? Funeral services for Mr. Grinnell, the cashier. So soon? It's awful hot weather. Yeah... Um, any of your guns need oiling, Chester? I don't think so. You sure? When Adam left, he said he'd be coming back with some friends. I know. I stopped at the Olive Organza just now to rinse out my mouth. Adam was there talking mighty ugly and mighty big. He's got a sizable following. Uh, when do you think? Any minute now, Mr. Dillon. It want me to take Bob out of here to one of the hotels, maybe? I want to see No, nah, I think you'll be safer here, Chester, behind stone walls and dodging about the streets rubbernecking. You keep your head down, sonny, you hear? There's a... Matt, Matt, i got to talk to you. She ought to be in mourning. If she cared for Clay at all anymore, she ought to be in black. Matt. Oh, Lord, I find her more beautiful all the time. Matt, have you heard what they're saying? What are they saying, Francie? That you and me, that... That you made Pete Ziegler kill him because of... I'm sorry that got back to you, Francie. It's all over Dodge. Adam almost strangled me before they dragged him off. Francie, I didn't shoot Clay. Francie, I beg you, believe me. Now it's the... Shut up, Ziegler. Shut up or I'll put you to death. Francie is just one of those crazy stories. They needed one and they made one up. But, Matt, everyone believes it. On my way down here, people were pointing, whispering... Old women clucking their tongues at me. They believe it. They'll forget it as soon as this is over. They'll remember that even if we once did go with each other, it was finished and done with even before the war ended, before you even met Clay. No, they won't forget it. For the rest of my life, as long as I stay here, oh, I'll... Hold it a minute, Francie. Yeah, Doc, what is it? Oh, am I interrupting? What is it, Doc? <laughs> Topsy's finished. I examined his liver and lights. His this service. is Mrs. Richards, Doc. Oh, oh, I beg your pardon, ma'am. I'm sure I make no disrespect for the departed. Well? Well, Clay was shot all right, but from the nature of the wound and the coagulation of the blood, I'd say it happened sometime yesterday. I'd say the cashier's bullet didn't go wild after all. How could a dead man gallop away? Well, the wound wasn't what killed Clay. The ball hit the rib case and it bounced off. Twenty-two caliber it was. And what did kill him was the stab in the back. Right through the spine. Inflicted sometime this morning. Now, near as I can judge by a small blade, old two, three inches long. It could have been a Barlow knife. Thanks, Doc. Yeah, please accept my condolences, Mr. Richard. You call the inquest anytime you're ready, Marshal. Chester, close the door. You see? You see, I didn't do it. I didn't shoot him. All I right, then you stabbed I... him, maybe. You said you never carried a gun. Look, Francie, 
go home and give matters a chance to simmer Matt, down. Matt, I'm going to ask you for something. Yeah? Turn Pete Ziegler out into the street. What? Francie, they're itching to get their hands on him. Let him have him. It'll prove that story's a lie, that you didn't make a deal with him. Please, Matt, I have to live here. Sammy, I have to live here. Matt? Matt? Don't look at me like that. Go home, Francie. Go home or leave town or hang yourself or anything you like. Just go away. Away. Right now. I bought me a bottle at the Alifagans, Mr. Dillon. Would you care for a drink? No. Hmm. Guess the funeral's over. There'll be others. Funny. No, I miss that bell. Awful quiet, ain't it? It's just what? Just about on schedule. Are you ready, Chester? Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. I'd use a shotgun if I were you. It's more effective when there's a mob to be dealt with. Oh, yes, sir, I am. Ziegler, and you too, son. If trouble starts, lie down flat on the floor and keep your head down all the time. Don't gawk to see what's happening. You understand me? Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. All right. Dillon! Dillon! Come on, Dillon! Chester, I want you to stand here in the doorway after I go out, where you can cover the back door and me at the same time. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. All right, Chester. Open the door. Come on out. It's my duty to warn all of you that you're in the breach of the peace. I've sworn to uphold the law. I've killed men in order to do it, and I'm prepared to do so again. Give us a Dutchman, Dylan. I ask you to be sensible and to leave quietly. But if you refuse to listen to reason, if you insist upon being fools, if you've already decided to act like wolves instead of humans, then there's nothing I can say to make you change your minds. All right, you want Peter Ziegler? Well, he's not more than 20 feet behind me, so come on and get him, any of you. One at a time or all at once. Come on. Which one of you wants to die first? You? You? You, Adam? Well, what do you say, Adam? You let him here. Don't let this star on my coat stop you. Come on. There, I'm not wearing it now. Well, come on, draw, Adam, draw. You all right, Mr. Dillon? Yeah. Get his gun. Man, alive, I couldn't even see your hand move. Uh, Marshal! Oh, don't tell me. Don't tell me. Doc, you make one single funny remark and I'll knock you down. You just take him to your office and get to work. Well, I, I never do mean to offend, Marshal. In my line of work, well, bodies, they're just so much lumber. Make all the jokes about them you please, but not to me and not in my hearing. In my line of work, there's nothing humorous about death. Give him a hand, Chester. No, 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 I can handle the marshal. Thank you. Thank you. Just the same. Can you direct me to the marshal's office? Uh, 
Yes, ma'am, right here. I'm Marshal Dillon. Well, I left Cottonwood as soon as I got your telegram. I'm Miss Bonnie. Where's my boy? Oh, we have him, ma'am, safe and sound. Here, let me help you down. Thank you. It's a horse, Chester. Right this way, ma'am. Oh, I'm so sorry you put you to all that trouble, Marshal. The truth of the matter is he is a wild one and no mistake. Takes after his father, one scrape after another. Uh, he was no trouble at all. I enjoy children. I like to have them around. Bob? Bob, your ma's here. Son? Chester, where's the boy? Did you let him slip past you? No, sir, Mr. Dillon. He never got past me. Look, the back door's open. He seen me and he hightailed it, the devil. <laughs> we'll round him up for you, ma'am. Don't worry. Oh, I don't know why I bother hauling him back. If he's run away once, he's run away a thousand times. This time he ran because I wouldn't buy him a gun. He wanted a real one. That boy's just gun crazy, I swear. I got him a nice ball and knife instead. Barlow knife. I reckon it didn't signify, and off he runs. Barlow knife? That kid. Chester, find that kid. Marshal, has he done something bad with it? I told him to use it careful. He promised he'd use Boy, it careful. No, never mind, Chester. He's got Clay's strawberry ruin. We'd never catch up to him. Oh, I try to bring him up right. I tell him to be good, but he don't listen. He just don't listen. Now, calm yourself, ma'am. Just calm yourself. Here's your little bundle, Mr. Dillon. What? Yeah, give it to me. That's pretty heavy. <laughs> Here, you're better at knots than I am. Open it, will you? For the moment he was born, he'd been nothing but tribulation to me. Now, please, ma'am. <laughs> What's he got in it, Chester? A shirt, stocking, piece of sausage, and this. Forty-four double action. Yes, sir, Mr. Dillon. That's Clay's gun. Sonny didn't manage to keep it long, did he? Well, if he wants a gun that bad, he's bound to get hold of another one somewhere, somehow. Chester, call Mr. Hightower over. Hey! Hey, Mr. Hightower. Oh. Come on over. Mr. Dillon wants you. Marshal, could I have please a drink of water? What? Oh, Ziegler. I forgot all about you. Uh, Chester, where are the keys? Yeah, right there on the desk. Oh. Oh, there we are. It'll be safe for you to go home now. I, I can go back by the farm. Yeah, that's right. I'll send for you for the trial. Oh, Duncan should. Duncan should. Watch where you're going, you dumb. Excuse me. Yes, Marshal. Mr. Hightower, it appears that we can do business after all. Get some paper and a pencil. I want some notices printed. Fire away. Wanted for murder. Wanted for murder. Uh, what's the boy's name? Bonnie. William Bonnie. William Bonney. William Bonney. Age 12. Height about five feet. Hair light, eyes blue. Mm -hmm. I don't suppose he's known by any other name. I know. Everybody just called him Billy. Or the kid. Also known as Billy. The kid. Wonderful, wasn't it? That was Billy the Kid, the very first episode of classic radio thriller Gunsmoke. 
one of the finest ever series produced for the air. So do check out the rest of the episodes if you get a chance, because they're all superb. And hey, remember that if you want to watch Three Godfathers or Apache Drums, then they are available right now if you are a patron, because every patron of this show gets instant access to my classic movie library. Those two crazy entertaining movies, as well as over 800 more. Plus, patrons get a weekly invitation to Sunday Night's Film Club. Watch a movie with me and a ton of other old movie lovers. And that ain't all. You also get access to all 12 Secret History of Hollywood series. Everything from Hitchcock to Hepburn, Bullets and Blood to Thin, the all-new series. You get over 100 bonus editions of Attaboy Clarence. Loads of episodes that have never even appeared here on the main podcast feed. Do you love Tales of the Unexpected Inside Number 9? Those little anthology stories with a twist in the tale. Well, each month I release a new episode of Small Tales, short stories with a diabolical twist. All of that and much more is available right now. If you sign up at patreon.com slash attaboysecret, very simple. Download the Patreon app, sign up, and you are off to the races. Hundreds more hours of old Hollywood splendor. Sign up now at patreon.com slash attaboysecret or follow the link in the show notes of this very episode. Well, that's it then. Thank you for swinging by the ranch, padre. No, need to stop doing that. I'll be back again very soon with more old Hollywood goodness, so stick around. Until next time then, take swell care of yourselves and those you love. And so long! As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.